Uh, for the last three weeks, we've talked about the book of Jonah. We've, t- uh, we've, we've been in this series called Far From God. And, um, and we've talked about the sailors, how, how the sailors were just regular guys. They had lots of gods that they worshipped, but when it, came time to a, when, it, when it came to a crisis, when they were in the middle of the storm, when they thought they were going to die, that all of a sudden these guys who seemed to be far from God came right directly into relationship with God. They worshipped him. They made vows to him. They understood who the God of the universe was. Uh, the next week we talked about the, the Ninevites. Uh, Buzz talked about the, the Ninevites and, and that these people who were evil, who, were, who, who just were, were horrible, God reached out to. He sent Jonah with a message to say, you got 40 days or, or, or you're going to be destroyed. And that the Ninevites repented. They, they really repented. They changed. And God relented. He rescued them. They were far from God, it seemed like. But with the word from God, they came back into him and were in relationship with him. Last week we talked about Jonah. And that Jonah was the spokesman for, for God to the Israelites, to, to God's people. Um, and you would think that Jonah was really, really close to God, that, he, that you know, he was God's guy and all that kind of stuff. And yet when God gives him the message to go to Nineveh and, and, to, and to preach, Jonah says, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Goes the other way. Ends up being thrown overboard, goes through that whole process. Jonah, when he finally gets to Nineveh, even though God has saved his life, he pouts and whines. This guy that you would think was close to God was really far from God. His heart was in a completely different place. So the question is, who's the main character in the book of Jonah? It's not the sailors, right? They're kind of bit players. It's not the Ninevites, although they're really important in the story. It's not the fish that rescues Jonah. It's not even Jonah. Jonah's not the main character in the story. Who's the main character of the story? It's God. It's God. Um, God interacts with people who are far from him. God is the one that the story is about. Uh, It's important as we jump in today and look at who God is. Let me just reinforce again. Jonah was a real guy who lived in a real time, in a real place, This is not a legend. It's not a tall tale. It's not an oral tradition that was passed. This is, Jonah was a real guy. This really happened. The Jews accepted that. Jesus believed that, and we can trust Jesus' perspective on that. Um, I want to just kind of rewind the story. And and again, we've said that we looked from three different perspectives, from the perspective of the sailors, the the Ninevites, and Jonah. Today, we're going to look at the story from the perspective of God, because God is the subject of the story. It is his story. What we'll we'll find is that the book of Jonah provides for us incredible insight into the character of God. There are three big thoughts that I want you to walk away with and, and kind of chew on today. The first is this. Nothing escapes the attention of God. Nothing escapes the attention of God. If you're looking on screen and, and, and maybe you're kind of new and you're thinking, why is that word God underlined in yellow? It's because lots of people have the North Point app. It's a great way to kind of follow along with the message. You can fill in the blanks in that, use it in your life group. There are some questions you can use in your life group or with your family later. Um, and, and that's just kind of a reminder. 
the, the first piece is this. Nothing escapes the attention of God. Nothing escapes the attention of God. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Let's just set the stage again. We talked about this a little bit last week. Understand that God had this relationship with, with Abraham. He, Abraham was this man of faith, and God said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless everybody that lives on earth. And, and that out of the descendants of Abraham, there came to be this people that were known as the Jews, or the Hebrews, or the Israelites, all the same people. God had a special relationship with them. They were his children. They were the people that God chose um, to to communicate his character to and through. God had made promises to the Israelites. He had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He had given them the land of Canaan to come and live in. We call it the promised land. He had given them laws about how to live. He He had gone before them into battle and given them victory in spite of overwhelming odds against them. He had given them judges. And then kings to lead the nation. And while God is God, we don't see in the Old Testament God having much interaction with the rest of the world. It's focused on his people, the nation of Israel. Now you might think, is that fair? Sure it is. God's God. He can do whatever he wants that's consistent with his nature. Let me ask you a question. Do you care about my kids as much as I care about my kids? No. Do I care about your kids? Not at all. Um, not, not really. Do I care about your kids as much as you care about your kids? No. You got, you, the, the church, North Point, has been incredible to us in terms of embracing my granddaughter, Sylvie, and, her, and praying for her and loving on her. Do you all love her in the same way that my wife and I do as our granddaughter? No. Do, do you love her in the same way that her parents do? Leah, who gave her birth? No. So, th- this idea that, that God, God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Understand that it's a big deal. God is saying, I care for these people who are far from me. Nothing escapes the attention of God. Understand that God sees, God sees the wickedness going on in the world. It does not escape God's notice. God is not blind to what's going on in a nation, in a city, in a community, in a home, or in a life. So if evil is being perpetrated against you, God knows that. If you're doing evil in secret, God knows that. Nothing escapes the attention of God. He was aware of the wickedness in the city of Nineveh, and he was going to put an end to it, even though the Ninevites were not his people. They're not Jews. Just so we're clear, this idea that nothing escapes the attention of God is not creepy, it's comforting. Okay, there, there, there's assurance in that. It's not Santa. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. It's not that kind of sense, all right? 
God is not looking over our shoulders, keeping a naughty and nice list, ready to thwack you when you make a mistake. Why is it so important to communicate that? Because while we know it intellectually, we don't live like it. We live like God doesn't really see what we do late at night. We live like God doesn't really see what happens when we're on a business trip or when we're posting to Facebook or when we're driving our cars. If you're living with dirty little secrets, come clean. Nothing escapes the attention of God. Another truth that's there about who God is that we find in the book of Jonah is this. God has incredible power. Jonah 1.4 says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah, uh, God gives Jonah instruction to go talk to Nineveh. Jonah says, not doing it. Jonah hops on a ship, and God says, uh, guess what? You're doing it. And creates this storm that threatens the lives of everyone on the ship. God has the ability to create a storm in an instant. Verse 15, they picked up Jonah, the sailors picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped from its raging. God has the ability to stop a storm in a second, to go from thunder and lightning and everything to seize calm. God has incredible power. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God has the ability to create an animal that's big enough to swallow a man whole and keep him alive for three days. That's pretty incredible. God has the ability to take that animal and have it in the right place beside the ship in the middle of the storm at the right time when the sailors throw Jonah overboard for that fish to swallow him. That wasn't coincidence. That's the power of of God. Chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. God didn't just have control of the fish's location and schedule. He had control of the fish's digestive tract. Think about that. God said the word and the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 4, God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade Jonah over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah is whining because the, the city of Nineveh has turned back to God. And he's sitting waiting to see if God's going to destroy him or not. And God sends this plant that in a day grows up big enough that it provides shade for Jonah and shields him from the sun. God has the ability to grow a plant in a day that would do that. Verse 7, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God has the ability to go down even to the depths of a worm to get him inside that plant and destroy the plant and wipe it out. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. God can control the wind and the sun. I hope you have a sense from the book of Jonah, of how powerful God is. God has the ability to control every aspect of what happens here on earth. Everything. Can, can I just give you a word of caution? Be really careful 
about calling God the man upstairs. Because I think it communicates the wrong thing. Be really careful about thinking of God in this buddy-buddy kind of way. Yeah, he's just there kind of beside my shoulder doing great. Like, like and, and miss the power of God. Scripture does tell us that God is our Father, and that in that relationship, we have the ability to call Him Daddy, and, and, and figuratively to climb up on His lap and to be in relationship with Him. But He is still the God of the universe who made everything, who in a single word will stop this earth. Everything will finish at His hand. God has incredible power. not to be trifled with. Somehow Satan has convinced us that our problems are too big for God. My addiction, I've struggled with it for so long. It's just too big for God to fix. My need for a job, I've looked and I've looked and I've looked. I'm too old, I'm too whatever. It's too big for God. My marriage it's been a mess. It's broken. It's too big for God. My loneliness, it's too big for God. The diagnosis that I've gotten from the doctor, it's too big for God. The University of Michigan's chance to win a national championship, it's too big for God. Nothing, nothing escapes the attention of God. God has incredible power. Don't miss, don't miss. No matter what's going on in your life, God has the ability to reach down and rescue. The third thing I want to share is this, and I just want to flesh this out a little bit more. The depth and consistency of God's nature is hard for us to fathom. The depth and consistency of God's nature. It's so hard for us to grasp. Let me just, uh, again, through the book of of Jonah, uh, look at that. The The first aspect of this, God doesn't want anyone to perish. God doesn't want anyone to perish. The Ninevites weren't Jewish. They didn't have any kind of relationship with God. They were evil, and yet God sent Jonah to call them to repentance. First Timothy 2 says, God our Savior desires all people to be saved, to come to knowledge of the truth. Second Peter 3 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is the God of second chances. God is not willing that any should perish, no matter what their circumstances are. God wants, He doesn't want people to be far from Him. He wants people to respond to Him, to run to Him and not away from Him. Many of you know the name Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer that killed 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991. Roy Ratcliffe, is a preacher in Wisconsin, 
And in May of 1994, he baptized Jeffrey Dahmer in a prison whirlpool that had been converted to a baptistry. Dahmer had been studying scripture and had completed a correspondence course from scripture about what it meant to follow Jesus. Ratcliffe continued to meet with Dahmer every week until in November of that year, Dahmer was killed by a fellow prisoner. One of the people in Ratcliffe's church, Ratcliffe is a preacher going to meet with Jeffrey Dahmer, this horrible serial killer in prison. One of the people in Ratcliffe's church said, if Dahmer's in heaven, I don't want to go there. If Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't have the ability to go to heaven, you and I are not going to go there. Because if Jesus' death is not enough for Jeffrey Dahmer, for his salvation, it's not enough for any of us. Because while we may not have committed the crimes of Dahmer, we have committed our own heinous crimes that separate us from God. Jesus' death was enough. It is enough. God is the God of second chances. You know, for the last several months, we've developed this relationship with the Rotunda Trailer Park, uh, kind of on the north end of Lansing. Um, that, that's not a project of North Point. That, that's not this thing that we're doing to make us feel good. We're there because we have had this sense of call from God that there are people there who are far from Him that need to know the love of Jesus. That's why we're there. That's why we're building relationships. Because we care about those people. God has called us to. We've talked over the last month about this vision that we have of reaching 50,000 people in the next five years, of impacting 50,000 people in the next five years with the grace of Jesus. That vision matters. We can't focus only on ourselves, on our life group, on our friends who are Christians, on our church. Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? Because God cares for everyone who is far from him. We must develop a love for people who are far from God. We must somehow develop a burden for people who face eternity without knowing Jesus. We have to quit spending all of our time with people who already know Jesus and already have a relationship with him. God is not willing that any should perish. Second kind of piece of the prism of God's character this morning is this. God is just, and and we can't experience the mercy and grace of God without him being just and exacting justice. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Their evil has come up against me. God says, judgment is coming to them. I can't sit idly by and watch them continue to live the the way that they are. I have to be true to my nature. Justice is coming. Some people have this picture of God. Maybe this is you. That that God is this good and gentle grandmotherly type being that says, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, and smothers her, her grandson with kisses even though her grandson is a bank robber. 
that, that no matter what we do, that God's going to say, oh, it's okay. I know your heart. I know it's good. We have this picture that God is like a football coach that says, hey, you didn't go to class. Somebody else did your homework for you. You broke curfew. curfew. You even punched one of my assistant coaches. But we need you. It's okay. You're going to start on Saturday, on Sunday. That's not who God is. God is just. A child who grows up without any consequences for their actions believes that they know best, that everyone else, their teachers, their coaches, their bosses, their spouses, are wrong or misguided or evil because there has never been justice in their lives. Parents, you have to understand that your word, your words must mean something to your kids. Don't give instruction and not demand obedience. Don't threaten and not follow through. Because if you do, you teach your kids that you don't really mean what you say. And more important than that, you teach them as they transfer their understanding of God from you, you teach them that God doesn't really mean what he says. And that's scary. Can you show mercy and withhold punishment as a parent, as an adult? Absolutely. But you have to be characterized by justice first. Otherwise, the mercy and the grace don't mean anything. Scripture is plain. God is just. God will punish those who reject him. There is a hell, a place of punishment. If the Ninevites had not repented, God would have been true to his word and he would have destroyed them. Third piece of the prism into God's character is this. God is not capricious. You know what capricious means? It means he doesn't change his mind all the time. Jonah's running from God doesn't change, it doesn't alter God's concern for Nineveh. Chapter 3, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. This is after Jonah has been rescued by the whale, or by the great fish, after he's been uh, thrown up on, on dry ground. When Jonah ran from God, did God change what he called Jonah to do? He didn't. When Jonah kicked and screamed and said, I don't want to, did God lower the standard and say, and say okay, Jonah, I'll get somebody else. You go back to prophesying in Israel. Not at all. God remained true to his nature, true to his purpose, true to what he knew was best for Jonah. God is not willy-nilly. He's not fickle. He doesn't change his mind and say, you know, I think I should do this today. No, not that. I'm going to do this instead. No, oh, no, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm... No, I'm going to do this. This is, this. God is not that way at all. God is not capricious. God has a plan. Jonah didn't want any part of it. God didn't change his plan, plan, and Jonah couldn't thwart it. Are you starting to see the depth of God's nature? He doesn't want anybody to perish. He is just. He's not capricious, but here's the best part. God is the epitome of goodness. If you could, in your mind's eye, capture what you think the perfect being is, 
It's God. Jonah 3.10 says, When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he didn't do it. That's not in contradiction to what I've just said about him being capricious. God's plan all along was that he would have a relationship with the Ninevites, that he would love them. He was going to destroy them because they had rejected him. And when they repented, then God welcomed them. Jonah 4.2, Jonah says this, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, that you're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that you relent from disaster. Let those words wash over you. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That You relent from disaster. The goodness of God is beyond anything that we can imagine. And his patience and gentleness with Jonah amazes me. Chapter 4, Jonah has preached to the Ninevites. They've repented and turned. And, 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 and Jonah whines and pouts. He says, this isn't fair, God. And he goes out and he's sitting on, on, on the shore, or, or sitting on the hill looking at the city of Nineveh, waiting for them to be destroyed. And he says, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's angry with God. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? So interesting to me because that's such a different response than God has with Job. When Job, in, as, as he's experienced all of this horrible stuff, when he rants and rails against God, God puts him in his place real directly. But with Jonah, he kindly says to him, Jonah, is the smart thing for you to be angry? Verse 8 and 9, Jonah asked that he might die again and said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, and he says that because God has made this plant that shielded, uh, that gave him shade. God sends a worm. The worm eats the plant. Jonah's bacon in the sun again. And Jonah says, it's better for me to, to die than to live. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, is it, is it wise for you to be angry because of the plant? And Jonah says, yeah, I do, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. To me, when I read chapter 4, it, there is such a tenderness as God deals with Jonah. Such patience with him. Because God, if, I think if I were God, I would whack Jonah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would want to put him in his place. And yet God says, is it good for you to do that, Jonah? No. Understanding the nature of God, understanding who he is, is incredibly important for us because it changes the way that we see and understand the world. If our understanding of God is like that of a mean teacher that hates their job, that's just waiting for us to turn in our paper so that they can get out their red marker and put a big old F on it, our response is going to be to run away from God. 
If our understanding of God is that he really doesn't care if we listen to him, we, he doesn't really care if we honor him or not, he, he loves us so much that he's going to save us anyway, we may not run from him, but we certainly won't run to him. Why would we? We'll just do whatever we want. If our understanding is that God has a few favorites, and that's all he cares about, that our concern then, then our concern for people is going to be limited to the people who already have a relationship with God. People who, who know God already, who love Him. People maybe in church. Those people out there, those people who are driving on 96 or 69 or 127, those people who are working in the factory, those politicians, those stay-at-home moms, those people in debt, those people who are rich, God doesn't really care about them. And if he did, they probably wouldn't respond to him anyways. So why should I care about them? And if I'm one of those people that are far from God, why should I run to God if I'm not one of his favorites? I have, I've, I've had a number of friends over the years that have adopted children um, into their family. Really cool things that happened there. This one family, I remember so clearly, they adopted three children um, from the streets, streets, I believe, of Ethiopia. I remember talking to them. This has probably been two years after they had adopted these kids, brought them from Ethiopia back to the U.S., incorporated them into their family. They had, they, it had cost them tens of thousands of dollars to adopt these three children. It had caused them incredible, it, it had cost them incredibly in terms of the relationships within their family. They already had four four um, biological kids, and to bring these three children who had lived in the streets of a city in Africa into their family had caused all kinds of turmoil with their biological kids. I remember talking to them and them saying, it's just so hard because we love these kids so much. We, we pour ourselves into these kids, and they don't know how to accept our love. They don't feel like they're worthy of that love. Anytime that there's discipline, they perceive the discipline as, as spiteful, as painful, as mean, when all we want is what's best for them. Our perspective matters. Our understanding of who God is matters. Because if we if we understand who God really is, it changes the way that we live our lives. When those kids finally get at some point in time that their mom and dad that adopted them love them unconditionally, that they've sacrificed for them, they start to see the world in a completely different way. God is just. God's the God of second chances. He's not willing that any should perish. God is not capricious. He doesn't change his mind all over the place. God is patient and gentle and good. God is, as Jonah said, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Make no mistake about this. He wants to be close to you. The heart of God is that everyone would come home to him, no matter how far gone they seem. 
he is desperate to redeem. He's willing to use um, anything in this world to draw people to himself, even a fish. So the question this Thanksgiving, this weekend, is are you going to run to God, run from God? How are you going to respond? You know, it's easy for for a person who speaks to give an invitation at the end of the service and say, hey, if you're ready to come to a relationship with Jesus, if you're, if, if you're ready to, to turn to God, we want you to just come down. We're going to pray with you. Every, everything be done in, in a second. And, and it's like this switch is flipped. I, I'm not, if you want to come down and pray, boy, I, I would love to do that with you. But hear this clarity in me today. What we're talking about in responding to a God who is good and kind and gentle and just, that's no little peace. That's a life-changing kind of, kind of thing. Jesus said, you've got to consider before you take this step. You've, you've got to count the cost before you take this step. If you're far from God today, I want to, I want to challenge you. Think about what it means to follow him. Consider that before you say, yeah, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. If you're in relationship with him, man, I hope as we finish today that you have this clarity that there's a whole lot of people in your life who maybe you've characterized as being far from God that are not so far from God that God may want you may want to use you, just like he did Jonah, to draw them back to him. Let's pray. God, as we think about who you are, it's just hard for me to grasp, God. I I know your goodness. I know you love me. And and yet, it's so easy for me, like Jonah, to run from you. God, help me, help us, help us as a church to respond to you. God, to respond to your call. To be who you have created us to be. God, to be instruments that you can use to transform the lives of tens of thousands of people here in this place at this time. God, take us. Use us. God, help us to run to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.